everybody. Welcome back to Firewall's Don't Stop Dragons. I'm your host, Kerry Parker, and we have episode 246 for November 15th, 2021. Today we got some news. I'm actually going to keep it a little bit short today because we're going to have a longer tip of the week, and I'll talk about that in just a second. But we're going to talk about some good news. We actually had plenty of good news this week. There's a new bipartisan bill that has been put up that is taking aim at algorithms uh, in social media, which I think is really interesting. Even if it doesn't pass, I, I want to talk about the kind of the implications there. Apple has listened and dialed back some of its phone scanning stuff. Got a couple actually good articles about Facebook this week of all of all companies. And international efforts have really been turned up on ransomware gangs and they're making some real progress. I've got an update on some people actually getting arrested, which hardly ever happens. Then I do have to read one article about uh, 23andMe because we're going to talk about DNA tests and the best and worst gift list. And I think you know where that one's going to fall, but I've got an article that kind of drives that home. That's been recent, some recent news there, so I want to cover that. And for the tip of the week, we're going to go over kind of the highlights of my best and worst gift guide, my annual gift guide that I do every year about this time. Usually it's actually closer to Thanksgiving, but I did it a little bit earlier this year. And this has become an annual tradition. Uh, it's a blog article and a newsletter article I send out every year around this time as people are starting to think about doing their shopping. Actually, with COVID, hopefully you've already started your shopping. But I wanted to kind of get it out sooner rather than later this year and kind of, you know, talk about some products and services from a privacy and security perspective, which is not often covered when you're looking at those cool gifts to give during the holiday season. All right, so let's get to it. All right, first up, this is an article from Axios, and uh, just I'll read it here and I'll talk about it. It says... A bipartisan group of House lawmakers has introduced a bill that would require online platforms to let users opt out of having personal, data-driven algorithms select what content they see, according to a copy of the text shared exclusively with Axios. Recent revelations about Facebook's internal research findings have renewed lawmaker interest in bills that seek to give people more of a say in how algorithms shape their online experiences. The bill shows that anger over how platforms use their algorithms to target users with specialized content is a bipartisan issue with momentum on Capitol Hill. The algorithms that personalize content on social networks and other apps can make services addictive, violate users' privacy, and promote extremism, critics and other lawmakers argue. Conservatives have also claimed that services deliberately censor their speech. The Filter Bubble Transparency Act would require internet platforms to let people use a version of their services where content is not selected by quote-unquote opaque algorithms, driven by personal data. It's sponsored by Representative Ken Buck of Colorado, David Cicilline, I think I got that right, of Rhode Island, Laurie Trahan of Massachusetts, and Burgess Owens of Utah. The Senate version of the bill, also bipartisan, is sponsored by Senator John Thune of South Dakota, an influential member of the Republican leadership. Buck and Cicilline are the bipartisan duo responsible for passing six antitrust bills out of the House Judiciary Committee in June. Buck and Thune plan to work together on tech and antitrust issues going forward, a Republican aide told Axios. That could boost the chances of such bills passing muster with Senate Republicans in the future. And this is a quote from Representative Ken Buck. He says, quote, Consumers should have the option to engage with Internet platforms without being manipulated by secret algorithms driven by user-specific data, unquote. And then a quote from Cicilline. He says, quote, Facebook and other dominant platforms manipulate their users through opaque algorithms, that prioritize growth and profit over everything else. And due to these platforms' monopoly power and dominance, users are stuck with few alternatives to this exploitative business model, whether it is in their social media feed, on paid advertisements, or in their search results, unquote. So anyway, I, I thought that was interesting. It's great that there's a bipartisan interest in, the, in Congress in the United States to kind of do something about this. We've talked about how these algorithms work on this show many times before. You know, Phil Zimmerman talked about this not that long ago in, in the interview we had with him. And we talked about it a lot in an interview I had with them earlier this year, actually, about all these these algorithms are optimizing engagement. And it turns out, as human beings, the things that tend to, unfortunately, engage us the most are fear and anger and really negative emotions. And, of course, again, these, these things weren't designed originally with an evil intent, but it just kind of turns out that they didn't really work the way they thought they would. So, anyway, I think this is great. I mean... This is an interesting idea, I think. If you at least had the option of opting out and saying, you know, don't, you know, let algorithms drive my newsfeed. Honestly, what your newsfeed really should be is just should be the people you follow, your friends and family and companies you like and things like that. It should That's the way it was supposed to be in the first place, right? Anyway, moving on. Uh, here's an article about Apple. It's from the EFF, actually. 
And Apple, you know, had these big plans of rolling out these child safety features that were going to come in iOS 15. And because of all the blowback, they backed up. Probably the most controversial of those, it turns out, was the CSAM or child sexual abuse material scanning because it was going to happen on your phone. Obviously, nobody likes CSAM. It's, it's a horrific thing. But you really got to be careful about, you know, how you go about trying to put a stop to that. You know, as they say, you know, good intentions pave the way to hell, right? You got to be careful. There's un unforeseen consequences in some of these things. So anyway, uh, they have backed off on those plans and now they're trying to slowly reintroduce some of those, but they're doing it after listening to feedback, which is great. That's, that's why we have this process. That's why we push back. That's why we, you know, have programs like this where I try to get you guys riled up a little bit to, you know, reach out to your Congress critters and, and these companies to, you know, give feedback. Anyway, so let me read this real short thing here from the EFF and it will explain what's going on. Since August, EFF and others have been telling Apple to cancel its new child safety plans. Apple's now changing its tune about one component of its plans. The Messages app will no longer send notifications to parent accounts. That's good news. As we've previously explained, this feature would have broken end-to-end -end encryption in messages, harming the privacy and safety of its users. So we're glad to see that Apple has listened to privacy and child safety advocates about how to respect the rights of youth. In addition, sample images shared by Apple show the text in the feature has changed from quote-unquote sexually explicit to quote-unquote naked, a phrase that the LGBTQ plus rights advocates have asked for, as the phrase sexually explicit is often used as cover to prevent access to LGBTQ plus material. Now, Apple needs to take the next step and stop its plans to scan photos uploaded to a user's iCloud Photos library for child sexual abuse images, or CSAM. Apple must draw the line at invading people's private content for the purposes of law enforcement. I'm going to get this name totally wrong. As Namrata Maheshwari of Access Now pointed out at EFF's encryption and child safety event, quote, there are already legislations in place that will be exploited to make demands to use this technology for purposes other than CSAM, unquote. And Vladimir Cortez of Article 19 agreed, explaining that governments will, quote, end up using these backdoors to silence dissent and critical expression, unquote. Apple should sidestep this dangerous and inevitable pressure, stand with its users, and cancel its photo scanning plans. And then it sums up with this phrase, Apple, pay attention to the real world consequences and make the right choice to protect our privacy. All right, we've we've talked about this before. And I know if, if you missed that episode that you might be thinking, why wouldn't we do everything possible to stop this horrible, horrible practice? And it's because, it, well, we need to do what we can, but we need to do it in the right way. Uh, and Apple was thought they were doing the right thing, had all the right intentions for this, uh, but they really approached it the wrong way. And we covered this in an episode prior, so... If you want to kind of delve into that, then uh, dial back a few episodes and check that one out. All right, more good news. Facebook parent Meta, and again, that's their kind of their new name or some umbrella corporation that includes Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp, is planning to remove targeted ads based on sensitive categories. Uh, this is from CNN. Meta, the company formerly known as Facebook, said Tuesday it plans to limit advertisers' ability to target users based on certain sensitive categories. Starting next year, it will remove thousands of quote-unquote detailed targeting keywords to target ads to specific users in categories such as health, race or ethnicity, political affiliation, religion, and sexual orientation. Targeted advertising has long been central to the company's massive digital ads business, but for years, Facebook has faced criticism for allowing highly specific targeting that could, for example, allow advertisers to direct racist ads to users based on their activity on its platforms. In 2019, Facebook settled several lawsuits that alleged its advertising platform allowed for discrimination in housing, employment, and credit ads. As part of the settlement, it set up a new portal for such ads. Tuesday's announcement marks the broadest action the company has taken yet to address concerns related to ad targeting. In a blog post Tuesday, Meta Vice President of Product Marketing for Ads, Graham Mudd, said the move is, quote-unquote, a difficult decision made to, quote, better match people's evolving expectations of how advertisers may reach them on our platform and address feedback from civil rights experts, policymakers, and other stakeholders on the importance of preventing advertising from abusing the targeting options we make available, unquote. The announcement comes as the company faces scrutiny over the real-world harms caused by its platforms that were revealed in the Facebook papers, a trove of internal documents offering unprecedented insight into some of the company's biggest problems. The documents were provided to lawmakers by former employee-turned-whistleblower Francis Hogan, H-A-U-G-N, I still don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, and obtained by dozens of news organizations, including CNN. And the article goes on a little bit, but I just want to skip to the bottom. It says, The change will apply globally to Facebook, Instagram, and Messenger apps, as well as Meta's audience network, through which it places ads on third-party apps. 
It will start rolling out on January 19th, 2022, when advertisers will no longer be able to select keywords from sensitive categories for new ad campaigns. And in March, existing campaigns relying on such keywords will no longer function, according to the company. The company places users in the categories based on their interactions of the platform, such as which pages they like and which ads they click on. Targeted keywords that will now be removed include terms like Catholic Church and Chemotherapy. While the ad targeting changes will apply to Meta's existing products, it's not clear whether the company will apply the same rules to future platforms as it pursues its ambitious plan to build the Metaverse, a new immersive version of the internet using VR and AR technologies. And VR is virtual reality and AR is augmented reality, just FYI. And so that is a good thing. You know, you got to call out good stuff when you see it, no matter who's doing it. And so I don't really even care why they're doing it, but I'm glad they're doing it and they need to do more of that. But, you know, hey, it's, that's a positive step. And they've made another positive step. And I, I would have to bet that a lot of this, in fact, even the whole shift to meta, I think they were getting so much bad press. They were just dying to have some good press or some distracting press, uh, you know, hence maybe the, the, the big name change thing. But um, anyway, for whatever reason, I mean, again, pushback matters. Pressure matters when, when people get up in arms about these things, when there's some transparency and we see what's going on and then, you know, there's a kerfuffle and they get a lot of bad press, then they finally start to make some changes. Now, who knows how long these changes will last, but, you know, I will take the good news. Here's, a, here's another one. This is from Apple Insider. Facebook will now limit the use of facial recognition in its products and in the coming weeks will delete all stored facial data of its users. Facebook has announced the end of its face recognition system, stating that the company will delete more than a billion people's individual face recognition templates. According to a press release, the company believes that while facial recognition can be helpful in certain instances, such as identity verification or fraud prevention, there are legitimate concerns to be addressed. And this is a quote from that press release. It says, quote, There are many concerns about the place of facial recognition technology in society, and regulators are still in the process of providing a clear set of rules governing its use. Amid this ongoing uncertainty, we believe that limiting the use of facial recognition to a narrow set of use cases is appropriate, unquote. According to the social media giant, more than a third of Facebook's daily active users have opted to use Facebook's face recognition setting. The same tool was centered in a lawsuit that claimed the company had been automatically collecting the biometric data of anybody who peered in photos on the platform. According to the case, Facebook had created facial recognition templates for those who did not even have an Instagram account. Users who have opted in will no longer be automatically recognized in photos and videos, and any data related to their facial templates will be deleted. However, in contrast to the 2020 lawsuit mentioned above, the press release states, quote, If you have the face recognition setting turned off, there is no template to delete and there will be no change, unquote. Facebook will also end the feature that automatically notified people when they appeared in photos or videos posted by others and recommended who to tag in photos. The automatic alt text, or AAT, designed to create image descriptions for blind and visually impaired users will no longer identify specific users. However, AAT will continue to determine how many people are in a photo and attempt to describe the scene for visually impaired and blind users. Okay, so I mean, obviously that last part there gives you an idea of some actually potentially valid, useful, helpful uses for facial recognition technology, not necessarily figuring out who is in a picture, but how many people are in that picture, maybe, or things like that. Anyway, again, a welcome development. Uh, we need more of that. But, you know, again, it's a step in the right direction. So I will give praise where praise is due. Now, there was a follow-up article also on Apple Insider that I'm going to read real quick, uh, to, just to say that it, there are perhaps some loopholes or exceptions. They said, Facebook this week announced that it will no longer deploy facial recognition technologies on its platform, but the social network's parent company, Meta, said that the commitment does not apply to its Metaverse products. Much to the delight of privacy advocates and critics of facial recognition systems, Facebook on Monday said it will shut down its face recognition tool and delete the collected facial templates of more than a billion people. The technology, which includes the controversial deep face algorithm, was used to identify people in uploaded photos for tagging purposes. While Facebook is no longer using facial recognition software, Meta on Wednesday clarified that the limitation does not extend to Metaverse projects, reports Recode. And this is a quote from Jason Gross, who's a spokesperson for Meta. And he says, quote, We believe this technology has the potential to enable positive use cases in the future that maintain privacy, control, and transparency. And it's an approach we'll continue to explore as we consider how our future computing platforms and devices can best serve people's needs, unquote. According to the report, Meta will continue to use a variety of biometric tools as it moves aggressively into the metaverse. 
That includes DeepFace, an artificial intelligence technology that matches facial templates generated by Facebook's facial recognition system with user photos. Meta's Metaverse is a multi-user VR, virtual reality, space currently accessed through Portal hardware. And Portal's the name of a line of products that Facebook makes, hardware products. With complex avatars and real-time facial tracking on the horizon, the platform opens the door to a new level of user data collection that goes far beyond the boundaries pushed by Facebook. Meta has not revealed what exactly it plans to do with DeepFace, but the company promises to keep users informed of upcoming changes. Okay, so, you know, again, not super surprising. They're covering their bases and giving themselves an out here. Like any of these things, you got to take it with a grain of sand and... Especially, honestly, anything that comes out of Facebook, we're definitely going to have to wait and see and see what they actually do here. But again, I'm going to call it out. It's a good thing. Let's hope they follow through on that and do what they say and and then eventually do better than that. All right, next up, the Casilla ransomware. We talked about that earlier this year. It was really horrible. It affected lots and lots of companies and caused lots of damage. And honestly, as the metaphor goes, it poked the sleeping bear. And U.S. law enforcement and intelligence agencies and those around the world have finally, I think, decided that enough is enough and they need to get involved uh, a little more actively. And they have, and they have been successful. So let me read this article from Naked Security, which is the, uh, the Sophos blog. And I cut out an initial part where it actually explained what Casilla was. We talked about this ransomware earlier this year. So it kind of picks up in the middle. It says, in the end, it almost felt as though the gang behind the Casilla infiltration succeeded too well drawing concerted attention in the aftermath of the attack. Indeed, the crooks decided to go all in by offering a one-size-fits-all decryptor, a sort of global site license, if you like, an all-you-can-eat file unscrambling buffet for a one-off collective payment. The plan might have even worked if the criminals hadn't set the fee at a jaw-dropping $70 million. Though whether they seriously hoped to get paid in full or simply wanted to rub the world's noses in the mess, we may never know. The ultimate lesson, however, seems to be that you rub the noses of U.S. law enforcement agencies, of Europol, you are just, and Interpol, and of investigators from the, at least Romania, Canada, the Netherlands, Poland, Australia, Germany, Switzerland, Ukraine, and the United Kingdom, at your own risk. We're saying that because the U.S. Department of Justice press release has just announced the arrest of a Ukrainian suspect, 22, allegedly one of the Reval ransomware operators behind the Casilla attack. The DOJ also seized more than $6 million in assets that it describes as, quote, traceable to alleged ransom payments received by a Russian national who was also charged with conducting rival ransomware attacks against multiple victims, including businesses and government entities in the USA in 2019, unquote. That Russian suspect, slightly older at 27, is still at large. In a parallel report, Europol says that a further five rival suspects have been picked up over the past week in Romania, saying that, quote, the arrested affiliates asked for more than 200 million euros in ransom, unquote. Additionally, Europol notes that South Korean police nabbed three more ransomware affiliates in February, April, and October this year, and law enforcement in Kuwait arrested a further ransomware suspect earlier this month. As we wondered last week, when Europol announced a big forensic swoop on 12 people allegedly active in and around the ransomware scene, from the penetration teams who break in at the start to the money mules who launder the ill-gotten crypto coins at the end, perhaps the worm is indeed beginning to turn on the ransomware scene. And so, yeah, things are finally kind of happening. I mean, obviously, we always got to be careful how we pull off, you know, these law enforcement things. We got to do it kind of by the book. But I mean, at least we're fighting back and it's really kind of felt like until this year, maybe even, we just haven't been. And so this should give other ransomware gangs pause. I mean, there are now consequences. Maybe before they could pretty much act with impunity. But, you know, law enforcement and intelligence agencies from around the world are out there infiltrating these gangs and buttoning them up. So anyway, that's another good thing that happened. Okay, but now let me read one more news story. Uh, and that will lead into our tip of the week. So this is from Bloomberg, and uh, it's called All Those 23andMe Spit Tests Were Part of a Bigger Plan. And here's what it says. It says, A few months ago, on the morning 23andMe Holding Company was about to go public, Chief Executive Officer Ann Wojcicki, I hope I got that right, received a framed sheet of paper she hadn't seen in 15 years. As she was preparing to ring the bell on the NASDAQ bell remotely from the courtyard of her company's Silicon Valley headquarters, Patrick Chung, one of its earliest investors presented her with the pitch document she'd shown him when she was first asking for money, reproduced on two pieces of paper so she could see both sides. The one sheet outlined a radical transformation in the field of DNA testing. 
Wojcicki's plan back then was to turn genetics from a rarefied work of high-end labs into mainstream health and quasi-entertainment products. First, she'd sell tastemakers on her mail-in spit kits as a way to learn sort of interesting things about their DNA makeup, such as their likely ancestral origins and the chance it would lead to certain health conditions. Eventually, she'd be able to lower prices enough to make the kits broadly available, allowing 23andMe to build a database big enough to identify new links between diseases and particular genes. Later, this research would fuel the creation of drugs the company could tailor to different genetic profiles. 23andMe would become a new kind of healthcare business, sitting somewhere between Big Pharma Lab and Big Tech Company and a trusted neighborhood doctor. Some of this still sounds as far off now as it did during the Bush years. Improbably, though, 23andMe has rounded second base and is heading for third. Wojcicki did sell millions of people on DNA test kits, 11 million and counting, and bring such tests to the mainstream with some help from Oprah's holiday gift guide. Apparently, Oprah and I have completely different ideas of what makes a good gift. An estimated 1 in 5 Americans have turned over their genetic material to 23andMe or one of its competitors. Now that she's got the data, Wojcicki is working on the drugs. And then the article goes on to talk about her a little bit more, but I want to come to the bottom part. It says, uh, from a quote from her, she says, One of our core values is, like, we're all in this together. One thing I always think as a tragedy is that you develop a drug and then people hate you. I'm really interested in, can we actually be the first drug company group that is loved by people, unquote. The next phase of their master plan might sorely test that question. While it's difficult to imagine anyone saying they love their pharmaceutical company, it wouldn't be crazy for the 8.8 million 23andMe customers who once absently checked a box saying, yeah, sure, use my data for whatever, to feel like they've been bait and switched now that their genes are laying the groundwork for potential cancer cures. Privacy advocates have been warning for years, <coughs> like me, that the spit tube deal is lopsided, that there aren't enough legal protections of the genetic data to justify trading DNA samples for answers about whether you're predisposed to hate cilantro or what percent Swedish you are. DNA data which contains information about you and your blood relatives could be hacked, de-anonymized, or shared with police. 23andMe's pharma ambitions add a new dimension to these concerns. Okay, so... I'm actually probably not qualified to really pick that completely apart, but I have been saying for years, and including in my best and worst gift guide, that you really need to be very careful when you're thinking about doing one of these DNA tests. And I know they're really popular, and on the surface, it's really cool. I mean, to you know, spit in the thing and send it in and get some genetic information about your family tree. I mean, I, I get the appeal. I'm actually working on my family tree myself. I'm dabbling in some genealogy. But, I mean, your your DNA is you. I mean, if there, <laughs> other than your physical being, nothing else represents you better, not your fingerprint, not your eye print, not your face print, than your DNA. And I would love to have a lawyer look through the agreements that were signed when people turned in those tests as to what they were giving the rights to. But I recall reading articles on this over the years that they were pretty creepy and very scary as to how much leeway you gave them. Basically, they own that DNA. And they, I think... From what I remember reading, they could kind of do whatever they want with it. Now, again, I could be wrong. I could be remembering that wrong, and I'm not a lawyer. But basically, this is kind of a bait-and-switch kind of thing. It's like, hey, let's offer this kind of fun, interesting service that people might get into, when in reality, what they're trying to do is build up a database of DNA that they can use for other lucrative purposes that you may not have been aware. So <laughs> that that will lead into my best and worst gift guide. So tip of the week, big tip of the week. And I wanted to spend some more time on this. Now, I do have a blog article on this. And if you're a newsletter subscriber, you've already gotten it. And it's kind of lengthy. And so I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to certainly read it word for word. And I'm not going to go through it verbatim here. If you want to check it out on the website, firewallsdon'tstopdragons.com, uh, it should be the top article there right now. But every year I kind of go through and I, I want to call out, you know, as we're thinking about, you know, the holiday season, when people give and receive gifts, how you might think about the privacy and security angles of the gifts you're giving. Because the original purpose for these things, I'm sure, is fun and interesting and whatever. But I mean, if if at the end of the day, this thing ends up being a, a hackable device that means that their whole, whole home network is going to get hacked, or it's a device that's going to give up a lot of personal private information, maybe it's not such a good gift. So I'm going to kind of work on this generally and then get more specific. So a couple quick tips just to start off with. First of all, you know, I hate to be over-consumerist and push you to buy, 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 but... <laughs> This is that season, and if you're going to buy stuff for other people, get on it. Because with COVID going on, there's going to be things in really short supply due to supply chain issues. Shipping is a nightmare. 
It's going to take a lot longer to get stuff than it would normally. Things are going to run out. So if you want something in particular and you want it in time for Christmas, for example, you need to get on it and get that ordered sooner rather than later. I know we all like to wait for those, you know, Black Friday deals and Cyber Monday deals, but uh, I would, I would, if you really want to make sure you get a hold of something, I would try to do it sooner rather than later. Second, be thinking about not just getting someone a cool gift, but actually think about the gifts that, you know, the electronic IoT devices they may already have, and think about maybe replacing it with something better. And by that, I mean something more secure or, and or more private. Next, because we like to get together for the holidays, and so you might be going to parties and visiting relatives and things like that, you're going to have one of those rare opportunities to do a few things. First of all, you can talk about these things with your friends and family. You can kind of bring up the privacy and security issues. You don't have to be a jerk about it, <laughs> but, you know, it might make for some fun cocktail conversation, especially if, you know, if it gets drawn out by a particular gift that you give. And while you're there, maybe you can help them replace the gift. You know, you know, if you bought them a replacement gift, help them take out the old one and put in the new one. Uh, or maybe help them to lock down their social media accounts or put good passwords on their Wi-Fi, change their admin password on their router, set up two-factor authentication on some of their accounts, help them install LastPass. There's, you know, lots of things you could do while you're together with your family and friends that, you know, maybe give you an opportunity to spread the word and help people out. And finally, we're going to talk about some, you know, some services here that I like, and particularly like secure messaging services. The way those work is, unfortunately, because they're all proprietary, that the person on the other end has to be using the exact same service. So maybe use this as an opportunity to, hey, why don't we all install Signal and try that out? And wouldn't that be fun? You know, and it might be kind of gimmicky, but at the end of the day, then all of a sudden everyone has a much better, much more private end-to-end encrypted messaging app installed. So anyway... Holidays present a lot of interesting opportunities to help your loved ones. All right, let me get a little bit more specific and kind of break these into categories. So next up would be kind of generally smart devices from the big three, uh, Google, Amazon, and Facebook. I guess you could throw Apple in there, but Apple's one of the better ones, so I'm actually going to focus on Google and Amazon and Facebook. Now, these guys are, are all about your data. Google and Facebook in particular are ad companies, full stop. Period. End of story. That's that's their business. That's where they make their money. All these other products and services that they give away, uh, I guess in some cases they also sell some hardware products. The the ultimate goal for all that is just a, another way to get more data uh, about people so they could charge more money for their ads. So the other thing to realize is these companies bought a lot of other companies. For example, Google bought Nest, uh, which makes some really cool, spiffy, smart thermostats. And they bought Fitbit a little exercise tracker watch thingy. Amazon bought Ring Doorbell, and they bought the Blink webcam and the Eero Wi-Fi mesh router. And they've actually come up with their own Fitbit competitor called Halo. And Facebook, as I mentioned earlier today, has a lot of devices they're calling portal devices. And they've got a VR headset called Oculus. So you're not always going to see those name brands, Google, Amazon, and Facebook, on the products that you're buying. So just be aware that, you know, these companies own those too, and they're all part of the same data hoovering project. Now, Amazon came out with a couple really interesting ones this year. I've actually talked about them earlier. One is the little Astro Home Robot, which costs a lot of money. But again, it's basically a little spy bot. They've also got, and I can't believe they did this, they've got a in-home flying drone that is meant to kind of roam around your house and looking for weird things and weird people. I would never bring one of those into my home. And then Amazon has come out with this thing that Google tried several years ago. Google tried to come out with this thing they called Google Glass. And it was glasses that you wear that have built-in cameras. And so it takes pictures and video of everything you're doing. And it's an augmented reality kind of thing. So it's supposed to, you know, I could see that it'd be kind of fun, right? I mean, maybe it can help you recognize faces and tell you uh, this person approaching you is Joe Smith and he's got three kids. You met him last year, whatever. So you could, hey, Joe, how are the kids doing? Look, I get it. There's some interesting <laughs> interesting uses for something like this, but there's a reason why the people that wore these things were uh, affectionately called glass holes. Because, I mean, who wants to interact with anybody who's got a camera on their face pointing at you all the while you're talking? Well, Facebook apparently did not learn this lesson because now they have come out with something similar. They've uh, worked with Ray-Ban to create these glasses called Stories with a built-in camera that records stuff. So, anyway, just... Just don't. Just, just say no. 
I would also be wary of, you know, smart speakers from any of these companies. I do know that the technology is such that they're really not, I'm not actually not worried about them so much recording everything you do, because I know how this stuff works. I mean, it really does kind of not do anything until you say the wake word. And at that point, you know, whatever you say after that wake word, like the A word, A-L-E-X-A or whatever, your, you know, particular device, whatever wakes it up until you say that it's really not sending anything to the cloud. Now, there were some scandals around these devices because, and again, I get this from an engineering standpoint, uh, they would randomly sample some of these things. And at some point, a human would listen to anonymous samples to just kind of double check the homework and say, okay, it did, in this case, were the words translated properly? And, you know, and if they weren't, then tweak the algorithm and get it better. I understand that. But of course, that means that there's some human out there that is randomly listening to the actual audio things that you sent up. And of course, there's the problem that sometimes it just thinks that it hears the wake word, like you said something that sound like A-L-E-X-A. And so then it recorded that and sent it up, and that was a mistake. And there was even, it even gets weirder. There were, there was at least one murder case I know of where they subpoenaed Google because there was one of these devices in the home, and they wanted all the recordings from that device around the time of the, of the murder. So anyway, these things... If you really, you know, spin out on these things and spiral out, you can, you can kind of get to the point where, you know, you're creeped out, which, but I would, I've got, I had some Amazon Echo devices in my house because I thought they were cool. And then Amazon bought Ring and got creepy. And so I replaced all of them once they were available, once Apple made a similar product with HomePods. And I, I have no trouble with the HomePods. Now it's just a microphone. I wouldn't put a camera anywhere, uh, you know, like in my bedroom or bathroom, anything like that. But I, I am perfectly comfortable with the Apple HomePods. Apple, as a company, does not need your data, doesn't want your data, and tries to actually engineer themselves out of the position of having it. In fact, the new iPhones, when you do the uh, Siri stuff on your iPhone now, it actually stays on your phone. Like, it, the phones are now powerful enough that it's doing the voice recognition right on your phone. All right, so moving on. I've already talked about the DNA analysis kits. I will say a, uh, a couple more things about that. Just realize when you're doing these things that it's not just you, right? You're, you're also giving up the DNA of all your blood relatives because that's how DNA works. You share some DNA with your blood relatives. And you might think, well, that means 50% or a quarter or 25% or less, right? Well, law enforcement has gone to some of these sites, and I'm not sure if 23andMe was one of them. I know um, there was a, another genealogy site where they did this where people were publicly sharing DNA data where they use the DNA data, this, I don't know if it was public or if they bought it or what, but they use this DNA data to track down criminals that were related. They, they got DNA from somebody who was related to the, the suspect. And then they use that DNA to find the suspect. But then there's, you know, there's, there's other things too. I mean, there's, you might find out that somebody you thought was a blood relative wasn't a blood relative. And then until we really got some privacy laws around this stuff, I mean, what's just, I mean, I don't know that there's anything right now that would prevent health insurance companies from trying to get a hold of this data and perhaps scanning your DNA and saying, oh, this person's a risk. I don't want to insure them. Again, I don't know that that's happened for sure. This could just be kind of a dystopian futures possibility, but just realize that your DNA could be used for a lot of other things and think twice before doing this as a, as a gift idea. And let me just say that there's no privacy policy on the planet that I would agree to, to give up my DNA data. All right. So another kind of a generality, be really wary about anything that's cheap or free uh, in terms of services. Uh, and that would include like VPNs. And also honestly today, I mean, social media and email and things like that, these are all quote unquote free, uh, but they're not free. These things do cost money. And so they're making money on you somehow. So anything, any, you know, any of these things that are free, you got to really be careful with. And then I've got to follow that right up with the caveat that there are, there are companies that have a freemium model, you know, where they try to bait you with the free and then they sell, they upsell you to something else and they can make money that way. There are also companies that are truly altruistic and are organizations and have donors and give their stuff away for free because it's supported by donations. And then there are other companies that just have a model where they've got an enterprise product maybe or a big business product that they make lots of money on. And then they turn around and they have a free version for regular people like you and I because they want to get people, you know, familiar with the products or maybe as a gateway drug to the bigger, more expensive products. So free isn't, doesn't mean it's horrible, but you just got to kind of follow the money. Make sure that they have a, a business model that makes sense to you that doesn't rely on them probably selling your data. Similarly, beware of cheap electronics, particularly cheap smart devices, uh, and cell, which includes cell phones. Security is hard. If you really want to do it right, you're going to have to throw engineers at it. You're going to have to put a lot of design into it. 
It's going to cost money. It's going to cost time. Big companies with deep pockets have a much better chance of doing that, especially companies with a big reputation to protect. In particular, you want to stay away from really cheap Android phones or tablets, or cheap baby monitors and security cameras. Really, anything that connects to the internet, make sure it's a brand name, and it comes from a company that's going to be around for a while, has been around for a while, and, you know, if something nasty were to leak out, then that would hurt their reputation. That would at least give them some incentive to try to get it right. All right, so now let's talk about some specific examples of things that you might want to give away, some good things you could give somebody. Well, just generically speaking, and this kind of goes more in the category of things you might help people uh, with, you know, over the holidays, things you might help them get set up, you know, things like a password manager, you know, get them switched over to a password manager, get them using two-factor authentication, uh, help them reset the default admin password on their home router, make sure that they've got their encryption turned on, help them get their software updated and make sure they turn on automatic updates on their phones or devices, if it's possible, on their computers, and so on. Also, if you know they're not using a a smart device in the smart way, like if they've got a a smart TV that they're actually not using for the smart features, like they've got a separate box that does Netflix or Amazon Prime Video or whatever, then just unplug the TV from the internet. Or if it's a Wi-Fi thing, you know, disable the Wi-Fi access. Smart TVs are really bad that way. Smart TVs have been shown to collect all sorts of information about you. Even if you don't use those built-in, you know, Netflix and other streaming apps that come with the TV. So if you can lobotomize one of those smart devices and it's still usable by them, that's something you can do as well. And then finally, uh, and this is a great tip, uh, help them set up a guest network that most routers today support the notion of a guest network, and then move as many of their IoT devices to that guest network as possible. And the key criteria there is those IoT devices either need to only talk to each other through the home network or they only need to talk to the internet. Now, if they need to, if you need to control them through your smartphone or through your computer, then they're going to have to be on the same network as those devices. But anything that doesn't need that, I would move over to the guest network, compartmentalize them, get them segregated. So in case they do go rogue, they're not going to be able to hopefully hack your, your more important devices. So kind of summary, make sure you spend money, you know, pay for brand names, pay for products that actually have security and privacy, support companies that are trying to do the right thing, you know, it might cost a little more, but that's that's a good thing. We want to make sure there's a market for that. So spend money where you can. Pick brand names. Pick companies that have reputations to protect. Pick companies that are trying to establish a reputation as, as being private and secure. Choose newer things over older things and do your research. All right. So in the article, I go through several other things, but I want to call out a couple of really interesting ones for you. So again, I, I think if you want to do a smart speaker, the Apple HomePod Mini is great. It can also serve as a hub for some home automation products. And again, it's an Apple thing, so kind of once you dip into the Apple ecosystem, you're kind of you're kind of all in uh, because you you know all the Apple things really work well together. They do work with some third-party things, uh, but you're you know you're kind of in for a penny, in for a pound when you go go to Apple. But again, Apple, they're not perfect by any means, but of all the companies making these kind of products right now, they're the ones that are most likely to protect your privacy. If you hate ads like I do, first of all, they track you, but it's, and if you just hate the really obnoxious, annoying ones, let me throw out a really interesting idea that you might be able to set up for your loved ones. And if you've got a little bit of technical skill, uh, you can buy this little mini computer called a Raspberry Pi. You can get one for about 35 bucks and you know, you got to buy a little case for it and a little power supply. So you might be in for 50 or 60 bucks when, when it's all said and done, but it's a fully functioning computer for 60 bucks. And you can hook this computer up to the Wi-Fi router and make it the DNS server for that person's entire house or your house if you're doing it for yourself. And what this thing does is it becomes your DNS server and the DNS server rejects all DNS requests for known advertising and spam and even some malware sites. So all of a sudden with this one little box running free software called Pihole, that's P-I-H-O-L-E. And again, if you go to the article, you can find links to all this stuff. It's what they call a DNS sinkhole. And so when your computers and devices are, you know, inevitably try to load a web page that has an ad on it, that ad has to go to Amazon.com or Facebook.com or DoubleClick.com or whatever these ad sites are and turn that host name into an IP address. And that's a DNS lookup. And if the DNS come back and says, I don't know, (laughs) then it can't load the ad. And so all of a sudden, all the devices in your home, all of a sudden instantly get the benefit of having an ad blocker. And like I said, it also blocks a lot of known tracking sites and even some malware sites. So that's a nifty little fun project that you, you, you have to give that to somebody and then help them get it installed and set up. 
Another little fun kind of a stocking stuffer thing that you might want to get is what we affectionately call a USB condom. And now maybe the more PC term would be a data blocker. Uh, and that is because USB cables, when we go to, you know, we have all these devices that get charged over charging cables. And so we're at the, the hotel or we're at Starbucks or we're at the airport or even on the airplane. And we want to, you know, our device is getting low. So we whip out our charging cable, we plug it in. Well, USB actually is an attack vector. You can hack devices over USB. And the way you fix that is you use this little USB condom or this little data blocker. It can either be a whole cable. The whole cable is one of these things, or it's a little nugget that kind of uh, plugs in uh, mail on one side, feel on the other, plugs in between your regular cable and your device and the port, your, the, the foreign port that you're plugging into. Uh, and USB devices uh, have four, uh, four wires in them, two for power and two for data. The real good ones are done is they actually just don't even have the data lines. The only two lines that are even in this thing are power. So the only thing that can flow through this cable is power. Now that probably means it's not going to be a smart charging thing. It's not going to charge as fast as it could, but at least it's not going to get hacked. And I know this sounds like science fiction, but it is, it is not actually. Hacking devices through USB ports does happen, particularly in very public kind of areas. And I wouldn't even necessarily trust, you know, like the USB port on your on your airline or at McDonald's or whatever, because even though McDonald's or the airport or the airline is not going to be the one that hacks that, someone else could hack it, unbeknownst to the uh, the host. Another kind of a simple gift, and this is a little more mundane, is buy someone a paper shredder. From a legal standpoint, once you put something at the curb on public space and it's off your property, it's it's free game. Anybody can go dumpster diving through your stuff and pull out whatever they want. You've abandoned it. So whenever you're throwing something away that has something on it that you might not want someone else to see, you should shred it. And a kind of a poor man's way of doing that, and you can find these too, you can actually get these little rolling stamps, the little ink stamps that you can kind of roll over things like checks or, you know, signatures or, you know, important data on a piece of paper. If you don't have a shredder, you can you take these little stamps you can buy, and that would make a little, great little stocking stuffer that obfuscates and makes it really basically impossible to read whatever, you know, print was underneath the stamp. All right, next up, video doorbells are actually really cool, especially during COVID. We're getting all these deliveries. And I really like being able to know when someone comes to my door and tries to deliver something. And even if I'm not home, having the opportunity to know that they've been there, see somebody who came to my door and perhaps even talk to them like remotely and say, oh, it's okay. Just leave it around the corner or, you know, tuck it under the bush or whatever. Please leave the package uh, kind of thing. Now, there are privacy issues with these. Uh, when you get one of these video doorbells, if you get one, uh, make sure it's kind of pointed on your property and try to minimize pointing it at your neighbors or across the street or something like that. Uh, but also don't get the Amazon Ring doorbell. I Before Amazon bought them, I had one. Ring was really cool. I liked it. And then Amazon bought them and they've done some really creepy things. They've teamed up with law enforcement and local police departments to hawk these things to people at, at a discount price and try to get people to give up their video to the police uh, without a warrant uh, and and more. It, they've really kind of been marketing these to scared people to try, you know, and neighborhood watch programs or whatever, and it's gotten kind of creepy. So I would avoid the ring doorbells. Uh, I have one from a company called Eufy, uh, E-U-F-Y, which I believe is a subsidiary of Anchor. Uh, and I love it. It's great. Again, just when you do it, just make sure you're pointing it away from your neighbors <laughs> so you don't end up with a, a mass surveillance device for your neighborhood. All right, next up, obviously we talked about password managers, but another interesting thing for somebody who's, you know, wants to get super secure, you might think about getting them a, a hardware a hardware security key, like a YubiKey. And this is a little, it looks like a, kind of like a flash drive. It's something you either keep on your key ring or they make really small, low profile ones that you can leave plugged into your laptop, into a USB port that is kind of like a, it's like it's, it's two-factor authentication in a hardware key. Now, that does mean you have to have this thing with you wherever you go. And for me, that's just been a kind of a, a deal breaker because I don't do that often enough. But I've thought about getting it and having that protect like a couple things, like maybe having that protect my password manager instead of using two-factor authentication, actually having a hardware key for that. So it, it really, it's a use case you got to look at and see if it's something that you think that the person you're giving it to would actually use and, and, and kind of enjoy. But it, you know, it's it's a hardware-related gift. It might, it, it's kind of expensive, so I'm not sure if I call it a stocking stuffer. Now, these things cost 40, 50 bucks a piece. And you honestly, you'll need two of them because you, if you lose one, you need a backup. So really, you need to buy them in pairs. But it's a security-related gift. And if you're looking for something for somebody who has it all, you know, that might be an interesting thing to try. All right, two more things before I go. And um, I want to call this one out kind of specially. And 
I ran across this on Twitter. Actually, the CEO of this company called the Privacy Company, or actually the Privacy Co., reached out to me via Twitter uh, who said he listens to the podcast and he liked the podcast and he had a product that he wanted to make me aware of. And I think I may have even been following them already on Twitter. I'd probably somebody had retweeted them. I liked what they said, so I was following it and checking it out. But it, I hadn't really looked into it much more than that. But they make this app called Priv, P-R-I-I-V. And right now it's an iPhone app, uh, which means you can also run it on your iPad, which also means in today's world, with if you have a newer M1 chip-based Mac, you can actually run the iPad app like an app on your Mac itself, not just on the iPad. That is really interesting. Uh, he reached out to me and, and told me he wanted to have me check it out. And after some going back and forth, we actually had a little Zoom call uh, with him, the CEO, and his CTO, Chief Technical Officer. And they gave me like an hour-long demo of this thing. And it's it's really kind of cool. And it's actually we're really kind of kindred spirits because it's basically we we both realize that there's a lot of simple things that a lot of people should be doing to increase their privacy and security. And most of them are free. A lot of them are easy to do. And some of the ones even that are a little less convenient have a really big impact on your overall security and privacy. And so you know, they had the same mentality and they took it the one step further or, you know, as my book has got a whole bunch of checklist items for you. They made this really great checklist and then they customized it. So you, you, you download this app for your phone called Priv and then, you know, walks you through some basic questions like not only, you know, what kind of devices do you have? You know, you're obviously on an iPhone, but do you also have an Android device? Do you have a Windows device? Do you have uh, some of these smart devices? You know, what social media accounts do you have? Not what passwords or anything, just just a survey. Like we're just trying to figure out where your holes are, where your where your exposures are. So it walks you through this kind of list of what, you know, let me learn about you. And then it also kind of presents you with this notion of not everybody needs the same things. And it really depends on your certain situation. So what kind of exposures are you most worried about? And they have these like these four levels of harm. And I'm not going to go into all that here, but they they walk through these different kind of categories of things that you might care about in terms of exposures or risks. And then they go the one step further and said, okay, now given all that, what's your goal? Do you want to be kind of good, better, or best? And after asking you, it sounds like a lot of questions, but it's really kind of easy and quick. And when they're done, bam, now you've got this list. They give you this really guided checklist of things you can do to improve your privacy. And then to help you keep track, not just with a checklist of what you're doing, they actually have a score, kind of like a credit score, where they kind of show you what your goal is uh, on this little bar, like a credit line, based on your inputs, where you're kind of shooting for, and then they help you get there. And, and as you check things off this list, your score goes up. So anyway, that's really cool. It's worth checking out. It is new. So, and I found a couple small little glitches with it, uh, nothing major, but it's basically a, a little app that does a checklist and it's the, the, the basic checklists are totally free. Uh, if you want to kick it up a notch, it, it goes up a big notch. Actually, if, if you want to spend the money on it, then it starts getting into these things called automations where they can actually do some of the work for you, like click a button and it goes and toggles a whole bunch of things on Facebook and Google and whatever, and changes your settings. Uh, it doesn't know your passwords, by the way. You have to log in first, but it makes it easier to do these things. Like it just bam, 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 just goes and does a whole bunch of these things for you where it can. Also, uh, it's got identity theft protection. It's got insurance, uh, I think up to a million dollars to help you deal with identity theft should that happen. It also you know, scans for your data out on the web, in particular with uh, things like data brokers and personal information websites and helps you find where those things are. And for the, for the fee, I think it will actually continually scan those and help you uh, keep them deleted. Anyway, I don't, want to, I don't want to make it an infomercial, but I thought that was an interesting new product this year that I had not seen before. Uh, and in fact, I thought it was so interesting after talking to him. Uh, I just interviewed him today, and that's what the interview is going to be next week. And he and I talked about privacy problems and a lot of the things actually related to what we just talked about here. And I kind of, you know, he's a privacy conscious person like me. And so I got his advice for people on how to mitigate some of those risks. And we talked about why privacy is important and why some people think it isn't. And we had a really interesting conversation. You know, you know me, I try not to, I try not to do infomercials for any of these products, but it was really cool. And I want to support these guys and I think it's good stuff. Anyway, I read Craig, who's the CEO, uh, and that will be our talk next week. And so I can't finish my list of gifts without mentioning the book, Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. It is a great little stocking stuffer. It's something you can give to people that have you know, maybe new to security and new to privacy or don't really understand it. It's got 170 tips in it. 
it's broken down into the why and then the what. So, you know, if you don't care about the why, you can just jump straight to the checklist and just start checking things off. And starting next week, and if this if this comes to fruition, I will mention this for sure in podcast next week, uh, there's supposed to be a big sale on that book coming up like uh, for, for Black Friday for a couple weeks. So stay tuned next week for information on that. And in fact, if you want to follow me on Twitter and Facebook, I'm sure I will post it there uh, when this becomes a thing. They gave me a heads up on it, and I just want to make sure that it happens before I promote it. But if it does, it'll be a great, really big discount on the book. So that would make it a great way to get a, several of these for stocking stuffers. All right, so there you go. There is my quick overview of the best and worst gift ideas for 2021. All right, so with the coin promotion we did last month, celebrating National Cybersecurity Awareness Month, uh, I got some new patrons and I got some new knights of the roundtable. And as we have done, like we did over the summer when I got some new knights, I am announcing them on the air. So today I'm going to announce the first new night we've had in the wild that actually wanted to be announced and get ready for it. My new knight errant is Greg C from Ann Arbor. Thank you, Greg, for becoming a patron. You got some really cool challenge coins as part of this promotion, and I still do have some of those left, and I will be doing another promotion at some point on those, so stay tuned. I'm not sure when, but we, we, we will give you an opportunity to get some of those really cool challenge coins somewhere in the not-too-distant future. So again, next week I've got an interview show, and it'll be the CEO of the privacy company with his own really great tips and takes on privacy and security that uh, he's got some really interesting perspectives, so you'll want to definitely tune into that. I also had a run-in with uh, debit card fraud myself. And I was going to get into that this week, but I think I'm going to save that for next time. So uh, the next new show, I will tell you what happened to me there. And that will probably be the tip of the week, because even me, who's been preaching this stuff for a long time, has learned a couple couple new tricks that would have <laughs> that would have helped me in this particular situation, and hopefully will help you too. And then finally, Apple is going to be rolling out some new features. We kind of uh, mentioned them or alluded to them today. They're rolling out some more privacy and security features in the near future, but they're not out yet. They're still in beta, so I'm going to wait for those to come out, and we'll talk about those at some point too. And I've got some other really great people uh, lined up to do interviews. It's just with the holidays, it's going to be a matter of getting those scheduled, but plenty of great interviews coming down the pike. So if you haven't subscribed, go ahead and subscribe now so you don't miss a single one of those. And by the way, this would be a great podcast to share with others if you want to spread the word and maybe get some other listeners. I think we covered a lot of great information today, and it'd be kind of a good universal you know, starting point for some people to find out about the podcast, or also the newsletter or the blog. Word of mouth is a really big thing, so I definitely appreciate it when you guys help me spread the word. So that's going to do it for this week, everybody. Take care out there. Stay safe. And until next week, as always, don't get caught with your drawbridge down. <laughs>